Welcome back for another episode of Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspire. We'll, we'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Dan. Dan, how is it going? I've read some comics this week, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited, because it appears that we uh, we found a good pile of comics for you, and you got to have some fun with them. I'm looking forward to talking about these. Uh, we're going to actually return stack. this week. I was going to say, my stack got a little bigger this week. Bigger, bigger than what was assigned. That's... That surprised me when I saw the uh, the numbers had gone up well past where I where I'd assigned you. I'm, I'm pretty excited. So we're gonna actually return to the world of MCU origin movies uh, with the 26th introduction and origin of Doctor Strange. And getting prepared for that, there's actually a lot of new characters and lore and everything else that we want to get you exposed to and caught up on. So this week is actually going to be a fun one. Looking forward to seeing what you think of all these stories. Does look like you've got a little bit of some news for us and the like first we can go through. Yes. Yeah, so before we dive in, let's jump in and talk about some comic book news. And there's a really interesting story here. Wonder Woman's daughter Trinity is set to make their debut in Landmark 800th issue. So on Friday of last week, IGN announced the upcoming landmark issue, Wonder Woman 800, will introduce Trinity, a new character who is the future daughter of Diane Prince, a.k.a. Wonder Woman. Trinity's debut will occur in Wonder Woman 800 in a story by Tom King with art from Daniel Safir, the creative team for the upcoming Wonder Woman ongoing that launches in September. Do you know anything about I really don't know a lot about this, but in the last couple of years, they have really started to focus more on the next generation of characters, starting to actually get a few younger characters out there, hopefully to to get some kids back interested in the main, mainstream DC Comics line. And so Batman's son Damien, who's been around for quite a while, but has kind of evolved through a normal uh, number of iterations over the years. He actually showed up first in um, something called um, Son of the Demon, which was a, a graphic novel back uh, late 80s, early 90s. But he's been become more prominent. And then Superman's son John as well is the character they've been focusing on and the like. So both of those have gone over pretty well in terms of being characters that have been uh, kind of welcomed into the line. There's been a lot of controversy with them as well because of some of the I things going on. And I assume there's controversy probably will end up somehow with this. But it doesn't make me at all surprised that with these being sort of the three big characters, with them having introduced a new generation for Superman and for Batman and it having been something that has been received relatively well by the fandom, that they would go ahead and, and make that step here as well. There's also been a couple of other new Wonder Woman characters that have come in lately. So it seemed to be sort of trying to expand out that universe a little bit and get Wonder Woman a sort of a, a Wonder Woman family similar to the, the Batman family and the like that we've had for years. Sure. So if you're interested in Wonder Woman 800, that's going to be released on June 20th, so uh, next month. And then that's going to be followed up by the King and Sampir Wonder Woman number one, that premiere will be in comic book stores on September 5th. So that is what's upcoming. As a a warning, by the way, not only will there probably be some folks who are on the shelf about whether we need a new Wonder Woman and a young Wonder Woman and everything, but it's being written by Tom King, who also is an absolute lightning rod for the comic community. Because he writes stuff that some people love and some people hate. And so... Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Uh, Looking at Marvel Unlimited, the new release schedule for this week, there's a bunch of new number ones. Uh, I'm looking at five of them here. Hellcat, Captain America Cold War, 
uh, Bishop War College, Red Goblin, Storm, and the Brotherhood of New Mutants. Uh, lots of lots of interesting stuff. Uh, it looks like you've been reading uh, a series, a uh, recently released series on Marvel. What do you have? You know, the Avengers uh, War Across Time has been a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying that one. And that shouldn't surprise anyone because it's folks, you know, some established creators I've, I've loved for decades. So doing good stuff. It's, it's been interesting. Um, I'm liking that book. And the, the last one you mentioned, by the way, it's Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants. All right. Because the new mutants are a different yeah, group. Yeah, new mutants are different. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I threw the word new in there. Sorry. that was. Yep. And the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are a different group. Okay. So you've got to, you've got to, yeah, there's a lot of parsing. I don't know who the Brotherhood of Mutants is right now because I'm a little behind on X-Men. Maybe it's just a rebranded Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Maybe it's, so we'll find out. All so. Right. Dan, do you have a recommendation for us for this week? Man, do I. I just finished one of the most fantastic books, kind of, novels associated with comic books that I've read in a long time. It's called Secret Identity, written by a guy named Alex Segura. Segura's actually also written comics, but this is a prose novel that does actually have a few pages of comic art in it that are essentially related to the story. So this is a story about a young writer who's trying to break into comics in 1970s New York, it's a murder mystery that sort of name drops all sorts of comics legends. It transports you back into this sort of world of Bronze Age comic publishing. And it also takes you into sort of like this seedy 1970s New York that feels a little bit like Taxi Driver or something like that all the time. Ah. So really, really a cool bit of world building and absolutely just for somebody who's been reading comics for a long time, and as a fan of murder mysteries, this is just a fantastic treat. Uh, highly recommended. It's from Flatiron Books, 350-some pages, and it really is cool because as the this young creator is making her way into books and starts sort of collaborating with this established artist, some of the pages they're making from the comic books are actually reprinted in the story so you can even see a little bit of the comic as you are reading the story that, that does Highly sound kind of kind of interesting and fun uh there'll be a yep. link to some more information about that recommendation in the show notes if that sounds like something you'd be interested in checking all right dan let's get into our discussion about Doctor Strange because we got a bunch of books to get through and in fact we're probably going to end up talking a little bit more about some books beyond the uh, 11 that we were set to read for this week so tell us what was in the main stack for this week and why you picked those particular books sure the stack is Strange Tales number 110 it's Doctor Strange The Oath uh, number 1 through 5 and it's Doctor Strange Volume 4, number 1 through 5. So Strange Tales 110 from 1963. It is the first appearance of Doctor Strange. And it's a short story, about eight pages, that just sort of gets in, gets out. It's a very different sort of story from what you might later see from Doctor Strange. Yes, it is. Doctor Strange The Oath is actually your choice. Last week you found this one and you're like, this kind of interests yes. me. And so I'm like, yeah, that sounds fantastic. And so that's kind of cool. That was from 2006. And then the last one is from 2016. It's Doctor Strange number one through five of the ongoing that was done by Jason Aaron and Chris Piccolo. It's a big story and we're just taking a bite off the very front of it. I will admit I hadn't reread them when I made the cutoff and didn't realize just what a cliffhanger I was dropping you on by only assigning five books. Uh -huh. But this is one of my favorite Doctor Strange series. I absolutely love the way they portray Strange, the way they portray his world, and just the Chris Piccolo art in this is something that I feel bad for those of you 
our friends listening to this who did not get to read these Chris Bocallo comic books this week. Because, oh my God, are they beautiful. Hey, Go out and find let's, them, let's, listeners. Yeah, let's, let's not... Uh... Let's not jump into the end of uh, uh, that discussion just yet, but let's let's talk about uh, a creator profile this week because we have we have some very interesting people we could talk about. You picked one uh, that we're going to single out and talk about. Yep. Brian Vaughn. Although now I've decided to just talk about Chris Bacallo all podcast instead. <laughs> sure. So sure. no, uh, Vaughn is actually yeah somebody who's been around a long time started in the late 90s. He wrote The Oath for Marvel in 2006. He's done a significant amount of work for the big two over the years, including co-creating a group called The Runaways, which not only was an excellent series of comic books, but then also went on to be a very good TV show that lasted about three seasons. Uh, even so, it's his creator-owned work that I've really enjoyed over the years. He's done stories like, like Ex Machina, which is about a politician who turns into a superhero. Why the Last Man, which is this post-apocalyptic sort of travel adventure. Pride of Baghdad, which is about zoo animals that get loose in wartime Iraq. And Paper Girls, which is sort of about kids and time travel. As you might have noticed the names, many of these have actually gone on to be adapted for TV. And Vaughn himself was trained as a filmmaker and has written for television including being a writer on some of the episodes of the shows adapted from his stuff. He's also been making an effort to include prominent representation in his work for racial, ethnic, and sexual diversity way before that was necessarily something that was sort of common in comic books. This not only includes the fact that he includes a, a group of diverse characters within his stories and and uses them in many cases as main characters, not just supporting characters. But also, it's reflected in his choice of collaborators. No one's perfect, of course. Some of Vaughn's work has aged relatively poorly, such as the way that some of the gender binaries are handled within Why the Last Man. But overall, he has a great track record of setting up fun worlds, populating them with relatable characters, and just in the last decade, this has kind of come to culmination in the book called Saga, which he's been creating with Fiona Staples for nearly a decade now. This is one of the most praised and popular comic books that's currently being published. It is around issue 70 now. They took a hiatus for two or three years actually, but have recently come back and started up the story again. It is so inventive it is heartbreaking it is a true epic like it is a, an actual saga so if you haven't read that book yet it is one of the comic books that really is worth going out and making an effort to find and read yeah i remember you and i talking about that 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 is definitely one that i've been interested in getting into i just haven't found the time to actually start getting into it as of yet yeah and also, you know, if you're recommending books to someone, it's a tough one to recommend in some cases for two reasons. Number one, the story isn't finished yet, so you're going to get about 70 issues in and have to wait to see what happens or keep buying issues. And two, it's always hard to recommend somebody who's new to comics or looking to get stuff a series that is that massive, because once you're in it, it, it doesn't just end. you, you got to right. keep reading. And that gets uh, expensive if you're buying, like, 10 trade paperbacks. So, yeah. All right, that is very interesting. Thank you for giving us a little more knowledge about Brian Vaughn. Let's dive in and let's talk about the first book, Strange Tales 110, the, uh, the origin or the very first appearance of Doctor Strange in comics. Yep, absolutely. So this is from 1963. It's written by Stan Lee, penciled and inked by the great Steve Ditko, a colorist Stan Goldberg, and the letterer Terry Zenix. Uh, Lee, of course, would also have been the editor of all of these books. So it's interesting. Uh, a lot of Ditko fans and a lot of, of sort of people who've studied Marvel that writer line probably should stay Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Because in a lot of cases, Lee only gave the most basic sort of instructions of, hey, I want a magical character. 
to the artist. And then, and it's got to be eight pages. And then Ditko would go out and do everything and send it back with notes that said what's supposed to happen. And Lee would do some witty scripting and call it good. So it's, it's interesting how they work together. But this is a really cool story. Uh, it starts with Doctor Strange being visited by a man who's suffering from nightmares. And in order to get him help, he actually goes and enlists the aid of his master, who lives in this remote temple up in the mountains, and he's very sort of a wise, uh, you know, long-lived wizard. Strange then goes into the man's dreams as a spirit to try and find out what's going on, and is met by a Mr. Krang. Krang tells Strange the man he's trying to help is suffering from nightmares because of the evil deeds he's done. Essentially, he's being haunted by those whose lives he's ruined. While this is happening, the man actually wakes up, realizes that, that Strange is in his dreams and is talking to Krang, and he goes, oh, he's going to find out about all the stuff I've done. Uh -huh. So while Strange's phone nightmare confronts him and sort of holds him in the dream realm, the man who's at his uh, sanctum prepares to kill him to keep him silent. Strange is able, though, to contact his master, who then uses his amulet to remotely hypnotize the man, allowing Strange to come out of the dream world, confront him, and convince the man to confess his crimes because it's the only way he'll ever be able to get a decent night's sleep. There you go. That is that is the the very first story with uh, with Doctor Strange. It, it was it was interesting because it wasn't an origin story. It just dropped you right in the middle of what have, could have been any one of a number of stories, and it just a quick yep. and easy sort of story. And they, and it very much was like here we're introducing you to this brand new character, and and this is this is what you get. Yep, absolutely. And it's it's intriguing, too, because if you think about it, is Doctor Strange a superhero? No. Not in this one, right? No. He really is more of just a an occult spiritualist kind of guy. Somebody comes into his shop, they ask for help. This is very much in the mold of a lot of, like, the old EC comics or some of the House of Mystery type of stuff that DC would do later. That sort of thing. He doesn't, you know, his, his costume is sort of superhero-y, but it's mostly just a suit, you know? So, at this point, Doctor Strange is very much in an unfinished character. And in fact, we don't even know his first name at this point. No, they they know, they do not reference his first name at all in, the, nope. in this. So what did you think of this story? It was interesting. I, I I told you before we started recording. One thing you should know is this is the second story in the book. So there's a a, a primary story that takes up most of the book, involving the Human Torch, and he's going up against these two foes. One of which is called the Wizard. And so when I'm reading, yes. I started reading that, and I actually thought that was going to be Doctor Strange. I finished that story, flipped the page, and it's like, oh. We're here. Here we are. We're now introducing you to Doctor Strange. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that story with the Human Torch had nothing to do with Doctor Strange, but it was. I mean, that's, I guess, sort of what it, it is. What it is, right? If you're brand a brand new character, and you're just sort of dropped in there, that that's gonna kind of be how it is, right? Yep. But we immediately see he's got his. His foe Nightmare, who's going to become a big a big opponent to his in the future. Mm -hmm. He's got that connection to a, a character we're eventually going to find out is called the Ancient One, right? Uh, who right. is the current Sorcerer Supreme of, of our dimension. And a lot of the things get kind of dropped in early. Now, there is one thing that a an absolutely brilliant book on Steve Ditko that I, I read a couple of years ago post, sort of postulates. When you look at this first issue, what race is Doctor Strange? You know, I don't, I, I don't remember, if I'm going to be honest with you. 
So it's interesting because there's a book, it's called Mysterious Travelers, Steve Ditko and the Search for a New Liberal Identity by a guy named Zach Cruz. He's a historian. And in it, he speculates that with not a whole lot of fuss, Steve Ditko just created Doctor Strange as an Asian hero. And if you look at the character, I think that it's relatively easy to see that that is, is probably the case. However, again, the two of them didn't talk much, and Lee had his own ideas. So even though Ditko was drawing an Asian sort of mystical sorcerer, Lee, when he eventually decided to give him a name, just called him Stephen, and eventually they started lightening the color of, of his skin, and he turned into a white guy, which just assumed Lee maybe never even thought about it. What's weird is that that would have avoided a lot of the stereotypes and problems that Doctor Strange has in the modern world. Same things that Iron Fist has, where you've got this white guy who goes over to Asia and suddenly becomes better at the mysticism and the, the martial arts and everything of another group of people than any of them were. Right. Just, you know. So it's it's interesting in the in the fact that it looks like when you read this first eight page story, things could have been much different in terms of the way Doctor Strange was represented than they ended up being. That's really interesting. I I will have to go back and look because I I mean I read that was the very first story I read, so read a lot of Dr. Strange stints then and uh, that that didn't I didn't notice that as closely as I should have well nothing was particularly cartoony I mean it was done right. well and respectfully by Ditko but if you look at like the features of the the ancient one and of Dr. Strange there's similarities there Very in similar. terms of the way he's portraying the characters so it it makes perfect sense I think I would agree with Cruz and some of the other people over the year who've said that. And I believe that in actual fact, Ditko was even on record eventually as coming out and saying, well, yeah, of course. But then he swore at Stan Lee for quite a long time, probably. <laughs> Ditko was not the friendliest of people, but he was, he was really entertaining in terms of very direct. So other than that, we get an origin story in a few issues. 115 has his origin which is going to be very similar to the one that we'll read as we're reading through the Bacalo books and uh, the Oath. Uh, we kind of get that retold to us a couple times. So I didn't feel it was necessary to necessarily... or I didn't feel it was necessary to have you read that three times, right? Sure. So this is going to be our one example of classic Ditko Doctor Strange. And now let's move on to the next book. So, this one is a lot later. There's actually a bunch of really, really good Doctor Strange that we're skipping over, obviously. His time in The Defenders, a lot of his books from the, the 70s and 80s by Frank Bruner. There's a Paul Smith series I absolutely love. So, there's a lot of great Doctor Strange out there. But, this one actually is from 2006. And it's written by Brian K. Vaughan, like we talked about, penciled by Marcos Martin, inked by Alvaro Lopez, colored by Javier Rodriguez, lettered by Willie Schubert, and it's a five-issue series. So this was this was your pick, Dwayne. You want to run us through it? Tell folks yeah, about so it a I little can, bit? I, I can give you a recap of this. So the story opens with Wong carrying a lifeless Stephen Strange into a hospice, specifically four superheroes headed by the Night Nurse. We come to learn that Strange was shot during the burglary attempt in which the item stolen was an elixir, the Akid elixir, that was retrieved by Strange to help Wong, who is dying from a brain tumor. The Night Nurse is able to save Strange, and the three of them set out to find the burglar and retrieve the elixir. While doing so, they find out Strange's friend, Jonas Hilt, who confirmed that the, what the elixir could do has been shot and killed by the same gunman. They're able to track the burglar, known as the Brigand, and confront him. 
After a fight, the brigand shows Strange who he is working for, and it's Nicodemus West, a former colleague of Strange's and the man who was unable to completely fix Strange's hands after he was in a car accident. West is the head of Timely Pharmaceuticals, and he has learned through Hilt's research that the elixir has the ability to cure any and all disease. With Strange still recovering from his gunshot wounds and Wong suffering from pain episodes due to his tumor, the group returns to the night nurse's hospice, only to find it engulfed in flames by some giant otherworldly sea creature looking thing. Strange tells Wong and the night nurse to run, but instead they stay and help Strange defeat the creature, who does so by using the gun the brigand had used on him. Strange decides to confront West, so he portals them to West and are immediately encased in a giant sphere. Turns out West, feeling guilty, he was unable to completely restore Strange's use of his hands, sought to find and help him. That led West to Tibet and the Ancient One who trained Strange in the mystic arts. Now a master of the mystical arts himself, the two men start to fight, only to have the night nurse tell Strange that Wong has died during the struggle. That gives West time to escape, and he appears headed to destroy the elixir. Strange, by himself, confronts West, this time at Timely Pharmaceuticals, and after a fight in the men's room, the two men square off again on the roof of the building. There's a fight, and West eventually falls from the roof with the elixir bottle in hand, crashing to the ground, and the elixir bottle breaks. There's just one drop left on a piece of glass. Should that drop be given to try and reverse engineer the elixir and potentially save millions? Or should he give that final drop to Wong and save his life? Ultimately, Wong gets the elixir and is saved. So that is the oath. There you go. So what did you think of this, sir? That was a really interesting story. And like shock value for starting out the way it does when you've got Wong carrying in the lifeless uh, Stephen Strange into this hospice and everything. And, and uh, it, it, it just, it dropped you into this like crazy situation. You have strange kind of out of body kind of spiritually talking to the night nurse and Wong as he's being stitched up by the night nurse and she's trying to save him and, and you get the backstory of him getting in the accident and and the first uh, kind of confrontation or, or yep. uh, time that West and, and Strange meet and, and he basically rips West a new one for not being able to be a good enough surgeon to save his hands and so he's going to have to retire and all this and it just it just goes from there and it, and it is it is very quick paced the artwork is is fantastic looking across all five of these books and uh i i this was this was great it was a very quick read too there was it wasn't very wordy and and you were able to get through the books quite quickly yep and so just as a note by the way the uh the fact that he's he's kind of giving instructions to the night nurse while she's doing that. So there have been a couple of night nurses in the comics, and because of that, it can it can either be like Linda Carter or it can be Claire Temple, uh, in the in the MCU has done it. That that was the the one that Rosario Dawson played uh, in a number of the the shows, but. In the movies, Rachel McAdams' character is a doctor as well. And I don't know if, you re- if you've watched the Doctor Strange movie lately, but they kind of replay that scene because there's a scene where he comes in, she's trying to save him, and his astral form is like fighting above them while trying to also give, give unneeded or, or unwanted advice while she's trying to patch him up. So gotcha. they took some of that out of here as well. Yeah. Some of that, some of that fight scene, uh, whether it was directly from here or not, it kind of made its way in. But yeah, I really enjoyed this story. I think the coolest thing about it is that there's a lot of times when, you know, we we see that Doctor Strange's origin story 
was that he was a surgeon and he lost his hands and he went to try and find another way. But there's not a lot of focus on the fact that he was a great medical doctor now because his hands are wrecked so he can't do surgery so it's just sort of it. But this really still concentrates, I mean, the whole title of it, The Oath. That's the Hippocratic Oath, right? And right. it's this idea that in the end, as somebody who was trained as a doctor, Stephen Strange fundamentally failed his oath when he was a surgeon. And now he has to make the decision of how he's going to deal with that Hippocratic Oath when it comes to, you know, being able to save his friend or being able to potentially use that to save many other people in the future. You know, how important is that you've got a patient and you've got to care for them type of thing. So I like that this is a story that really does dig into the history of Doctor Strange as a doctor. And that even the villain that he ends up facing and the the whole sort of setup really comes out of choices he made, the the way he reacted and the way he sort of tore into the guy who just tried to save him after he was a moron and crashed his car, okay. that then led that guy to decisions that eventually turned them into foes. So it's really just a cool story because of that, in, to me, that I like, I like that it does something that we didn't really see a whole lot out of. So, and, and, and Stephen Strange, in case you have any question, as we move into the movie this week, terrible, terrible human being before he hurts his hands. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So if there's a point at the beginning of the movie where you're like, wow, Benedict Cumberpatch is really playing this guy like he's a dick. Yes, that is comic accurate. He really was that terrible. And... He remains a really, really full of himself character. He's he's sort of Tony Starkish in a lot of ways. And there, all there's, through his series, there's definitely an ego there. Yeah, that is uh, as big as the room he's in usually, and sometimes yeah. busting through uh, out of that even. So now that said. There is also the fact that this does focus on the importance of Wong as somebody who is absolutely critical to the success of the Sorcerer Supreme. Like Wong is his cook and Wong is his, you know, servant. But Wong is also, like he said, you know, there's sometimes where Wong is the master because Wong is also the one who's been teaching him martial arts and the like. And so the two of them really have a much more complex relationship, and this guy is that important to him, you know? And and I like the fact that over the years, Wong has become a very, very important part of the Doctor Strange books. Yeah, he, he, he definitely feels important in this series, and obviously is like the driving force behind, you know, him going out and getting the elixir, going it, and, and then, like... You know, he 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 he's practically just regained consciousness on the bed in the hospice, and he's like trying to get up. And the night nurse is like, "Whoa, I just patched you up. You just got shot. You uh, you shouldn't be going and looking for the guy who stole the elixir from you." And he's like, "No, I got to help my friend here." And and, yep. and and so she's like, "I can't, in good conscience, as a doctor, let you go out like this. So that's why I'm going with you." Because you're not fit to be doing this, and he doesn't look like he's in much better shape. So so she just sort of tags along and ends up kind of being fairly instrumental in in, in the in the proceedings as well. So it's kind yeah, of interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, and and Night Nurse is a character who's been around like for a long time, since the early seventies. Kind of has had her own book even for a little while. And then, you know, you saw just some sort of cameos at the beginning. The two people who got kicked out are Aranya, who's one of the various spider-powered characters in the Marvel Universe, and then Iron Fist. Right. And they're just sort of like, yeah, you guys are not 
life-threatening, go home and put some ice on it or whatever. I've got to, I've got to deal with something here. But that this is a character who is the one who patches up everybody in the Marvel Universe who's out there fighting crime. When something happens that they need, they go to her and she takes care of it. They, they can't go to a regular hospital. Yep. <laughs> from, from an anonymity stake, they can, can't go to a regular hospital. So they go to her and she patches them up. Yeah, but this is 100% out of the idea of like the old mob doctor where right. somebody gets somebody gets hurt in organized crime. They're not going to go to the hospital because the cops would find them. They're going to go find the mob doctor. And that is that's the, the job she faces. It is interesting too, though, the way they really, you know, talk about how she's like, I don't want to be a superhero. He's like, well, really? You've got a little cape on, you know, that... There is something about her that this is a character who is brave enough to be a superhero and really in some ways is actually a part of the superhero community. She just isn't out punching people. She's getting people ready to go out and punch people. All right, so with that, we come to our our third group of books, Doctor Strange, Volume 4. As noted before, one of my favorite to the Doctor Stranges. Um, this is from 2015. Written by Jason Aaron, who we've read a lot of great stuff from in the Thor world before. This guy, spectacular writer. Yep. Penciled by Chris Bacallo, who is fantastic. Inks by a number of different people. Tim Townsend, Al Vey, Mark Irwin. Colored by Bacallo himself. And he is a really, really good colorist. And just has that ability to take his art even up one more level when he when he does his own stuff. Lettered by Corey Petit, and then edited by Nick Lowe, Charles Beecham. What we're going to be looking at is the first story arc called Weird. And it begins with Doctor Strange fighting with, and romancing, a tribe of soul stealers who'd invaded a young boy's mind. After saving him, he then heads to a meeting of mages at the bar with no doors and is reminded that magic has a price by the proprietor. He also is reminded that that price needs to be paid and that Strange may not, in the opinion of the, the bartender, have been paying his price the way he needs to lately. On returning home, he finds a librarian named Zelma Stanton waiting for him. She has things with sharp teeth growing out of the back of her head, which Strange removes they then scurry off all over his house, and the crew has to chase them around the sanctum, getting attacked by books and weird creatures as they do so. Strange saves Zelda, and then asks her to sort out his library, even as we see a dark force called the Empirical, killing sorcerers in other dimensions. The city is then overrun by magic-eating slugs, and, and that is not a euphemism of any sort. No. They're literal, no. <laughs> adorable little giant slugs wandering around nibbling on things uh -huh. um, which leads strange back to the slugs home dimension which is normally filled with magic and feeds them well enough they never need to go anywhere when he gets there he finds it's been completely drained of magic and more ominously has a number of dead sorcerers supreme sort of hung up in various places on trees and stuff like that in the uh in in the previous magic gardens Strange goes back and informs other magicians in the Marvel Universe that magic is being severed and mages are being killed and asks him to be on the lookout and prepare for a fight. He then finds the books in his library are dying and when trying to find the reason, he realizes that a group called the, this group called the Empirical are already in his dimension. The enemies of magic then attack everywhere at once and just when Strange believes that he and his friends have beaten them off, the main force arrives and attacks the Sanctum Sanctorum face on. At which point, things close up on this series. I leave Dwayne with a ridiculous cliffhanger. And it all starts up and we find out what happens in a five-issue arc called The Last Days of Magic. So, wow. alright, so I, I think I maybe gave this one a bit of a build-up. But what did you think, sir? The important opinion <laughs> is yours. I don't know how important it is, but I absolutely loved this set of books. It was 
captivating, not only from a just an interesting standpoint, the story, the empirical, uh, all this that's going on, but it is a beautiful set of books. The 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 that that opening scene with the the soul eaters and the young boy's mind, those are they're like two like four two page spreads of just this amazing artwork with like smaller panels dotted throughout them and it is just a feast for the eyes i just could not uh, and that was before even the title page right we have then have the title page and you find out what's going on and he goes to the bar and it's like everything's normal it's like what the heck did i just stumble into and it just gets better and better from there uh, this empirical or like these super super science like hate magic uh guy it's like headed by one guy like the inquisitor or something and he's got all these like he's got these like wolves that shoot lasers out of their eyes and he's got these like mechanical droid things that are like doing his bidding for them and and all this and it was just so interesting all these new and and crazy characters this zelma stanton was kind of interesting too because she's like heard of dr strange but is like i've heard he's weird and i don't know what to think of him and he ends up like talking to her on the street rather than because she's too kind of scared to go and knock on the door because she doesn't know what she's getting her into and it, it just there was so much to like about this i you talked about Bet you couldn't read just five, and that this I ended up reading thirteen books in, and I wish I would have had more time this week to read more because this was a fantastic set of books. That is spectacular. I mean, that's that really is everything that I can hope for as somebody trying to get you, you know, introduced to comics. Is that you find some where you're like, okay, forget this reading five, but thirteen that. That impressed me. I'm, I am like, wow. Now I'm not surprised, because they are, they're fantastic, and there's just even a cool element. Bacallo's art just seems effortlessly cool. You know, all of his characters look hip. They look like someone who would actually be wandering around New York and would be cooler than everybody else who walks into the coffee shop, uh-huh. and they're just so well rendered. But he's also got these sort of like solid lines and he outlines everything. And there's a real graphic design sort of style to it also. It was the thing that I kept coming back to is I felt like there was a little bit of grittiness to it almost. Yep. And, that, and, and, and it just it fit like New York and it fit like everything that he was showing. We find out as you read further into this series, that one of the ways that, that Strange is paying the tab is he's got this, like, pain and suffering creature in the cellar. And, oh, my God, that thing is terrifying. It is just this <laughs> giant black and white, oozy, gross-looking thing with, like, all these different white, like, porcelain-looking faces and all this sort of thing. And it is just everything looks so it, it's not that it's realistic or lifelike though there there is a shot where you see the sanctum santorum the outside of the building and there's a hole being blown in the ceiling of the roof of the building and there's just this weird sort of red pink purple yellowish sort of like cloud thing shooting up into the sky as a result of the things going on in the sanctum santorum that just looked i don't know how you draw and color that and make it look that good it just doesn't make any sense to me it looks like it should be like computer rendered or something i don't i don't know but it is it is it is fantastic uh you talked about like the colors and stuff He's showing uh, Strange walking on the street, and and they do this really cool thing where he makes like the real world black and white, 
completely black and white and like all the the mystic sort of things like those slugs and and all these other like creatures that are attached to people and floating in the sky those are the things that are in color so they just kind of explode out of the panel and you're just it it, it is a feast for the eyes every page i'm just like yep. what is going on here it is beautiful yep yeah it's very hard to just sort of read the page just word bubble the word bubble because you're constantly yeah. going and looking at like the murderous teddy bears or you're checking out these weird hideous things that you know there's the one coming out of her head that's maybe the most important to the narrative uh -huh. but there's like 40 other ones that all have these crazy expressions and the like and are doing weird and interesting things as well and it just does have this level of invention and kinetic energy you know that everybody's classically sort of beautiful but he also does it in a cartoony style so it really right. isn't photorealistic. It's a it's an art style all his own. Other people have tried to copy it since, and there's a few who've come close. But really, there is only one Chris Bacallo, and once you've seen his art, you will recognize it pretty much any time. This is, in some ways, I think, him at the apex of his, of his form, because these books are just astonishing. So... And, and that's not to shortchange Jason Aaron here, because this story no. is really interesting throughout. And, oh, and I, I, so I, I told you that I wanted to call this, uh, Dr. Strange electrician Supreme. And, and the reason I did that is <laughs> in book three, he's on the street and he is talking about being the sorcerer. And, and there is, two panels where he talks about it and i love this 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 thing he's he's kind of narrating what's what he's thinking he says being a magician doesn't mean you create magic from thin air you only channel the magic energy that's already around you it's a little like being an electrician you have to know how to direct the energy where you want it to go hopefully you're not setting fire to a house or shocking yourself to death it was just clever. Yep. It's just clever. And it's like, it's little things like that, but it's the overarching story of it all as well. It just, it, it, it was hard to put this down. And that's why I didn't keep, put it down. And like yep. the last days of magic, as you continue in this, that they end up actually kind of basically for the most part, getting rid of all of magic on earth. And the, strange and some of his uh compatriots from the the bar with no doors actually go searching for maybe these last little bits of magic that may have somehow survived the 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 total kind of magic apocalypse that that the the emperor cool was able to cause and you know they're gathering up little things they're going to into tombs and 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 mm -hmm. in out into like the himalayas and all this sort of thing and it's it is actually just sort of crazy and it just it makes perfect sense at the same time and it's quick and it doesn't it, it's not wordy it makes sense there's a lot of action and it and it's it's just it's just actually just i think kind of that perfect combination to me of a great story told well and fantastic images that complement the story and almost enhance the story Yep. I would I would agree it's a brilliant story. To me, the thing that when I read it really stuck with me and still colors the way I feel about Doctor Strange is that what Aaron postulates in this is that magic in the Marvel Universe is not only a force that exists and can be channeled, kind of your electrician thing, but that every time magic is used to hurt or kill something every time it destroys something it exacts a price for that service every time in fact magic is used for any purpose is is essentially distracted from doing what it would do if a magician was not commanding it it extracts a price for that purpose or for that usage and because of that what wong has ended up doing is for most of the early part of 
Strange's career, he understood this and he would go back and they'd, you know, he'd get punched or somehow there would be physical punishments or other punishments he would suffer that would offset the magic usage he's done. But over time, as the threats got bigger, Wong knew he wouldn't be able to handle that. And this isn't in the stories we're doing right now necessarily, but it's coming up. But the, that, but the idea... Yep, the idea is that what he did then is these people we saw in the Himalayas that were getting beaten up in like issue four and five were actually a force of sort of monks who were attached psychically to Strange by Wong and essentially served as sort of like pain batteries for him. So when he did something, when he used magic instead of it impacting him and him paying the price someone else did and the problem is that over time because Wong didn't tell him this was happening he started to get sloppy with his magic because he wasn't paying for what was happening and Wong didn't want to tell him because he feared that Strange would stop using magic and the world needed him eventually he does find out obviously but that idea then that Doing something frivolous with magic, like just, you know, making making yourself a, a cup of soda float over to you from across the room, is becomes an irresponsible act in a certain point. Because someone has to pay for that, whether it's you or someone else. And it changes the entire way that you feel about Doctor Strange and his magic. That idea that whether it's him or someone, whenever he saves someone, whenever he makes the choice to use magic... He is using, essentially, this credit card that the bill's going to come due on. Exactly like the bartender talks about. And so you start to judge him when he's using magic a little bit, where you're like, oh, really? Some guy's going to get kicked in the head because you needed to do that, right? Uh -huh. and, and so I just found it really interesting because Strange's powers don't have many limits. He is a fantastically overpowered character but this almost imposes a logical internal limit on him because he should be taking into account how that works and now they've changed that over time and they've done whatever but when this way of thinking was in place man did it change the way you thought about magic users in the marvel universe i can't i can imagine and and because it, it completely sort of changes how you think about about the character, what he's doing, it you know is he being responsible? Is he not being responsible? And you know, as as you point out, if if he was able to just do whatever he wanted without any repercussions, there's just no stopping him. He would just be able to do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. And and this, like. The bigger thing you do, the more something, someone or something has to pay as a result is really interesting. And, and I think the other thing is like, then it makes the fact that he can't do that and has to figure out ways to like confront the, the empirical. And then he, once, once all his other foes realize that he is without real magic anymore, uh, you know, nightmare uh you know mm -hmm. uh baron mordu all these other adversaries that he's fought and been able to handily defeat in the past are now coming and saying and and confronting him and going to be trying to take him down as well and and, and that's yep. you know further even further into the into the story arc but it, it's it's really really interesting yep absolutely now there's He's a, he's a fascinating character, and the way they've handled him over time, there have been a lot of different ways that people have dealt with Strange. I think these are some of the, these are some of the best and most interesting. And it's because some of, the, some of the concepts they're dealing with and stuff. And you mentioned, by the way, Dr. Mordo, that us not getting more time with him this week is something that I do regret. We will pick that up again um, you know, Doctor Strange 2, I guess, we'll get a chance to see it a bit. But that is that is actually one thing that's unfortunate. Because as one of the 
the big bads of the movie, it would have been nice if we'd spent more time with him. He was mentioned a couple of times in this, but essentially we did get a chance to see that kind of he's kind of the the opposite of Doctor Strange, and that he's somebody who had the same studies with the the Ancient One, and whereas he moved off to try and use good magic and defend the world, Mordo goes the other way and uses his magic to try and take power and things like that. Now, he has also been redefined a number of times, so there are some stories where Mordo is actually treated in a more positive light, there's some where he's in a really negative light. Um, in any case, we'll talk about him again later, so it's good to, good to keep that name going. But I think these were three good books to kind of get you an idea of who Stephen Strange is. It's also interesting, you may think he's a bit of a Lothario, and you'd be correct. He is constantly romancing somebody. And he's wow. not quite not quite Tony Stark, but it's sort of in that in that range. He does have one long time the true love, Clea. But they are sort of on again, off again over the years for a long time. So in the current story, back together, everything's fine. He's not dead anymore, which helps all of that. But for a long time, he sort of wandered from romance to romance. So... All right. I mean, so yeah, yeah. I oh, was go gonna ahead. say at the end, the the last the last panel in the oath is him kissing the night nurse. So to yeah. to your yep. to your point, he's he's just sort of you know do it do yep. it in the uh, the, the uh, Tony Tony yep. Stark. And Wally Wally was saving the uh, the kid from the the soul stealers or whatever. There was one that he kind of you know the the sexy snake soul eater that he's making out with while the parents are standing there going. What's taking him so long? So, Was he making yeah. kissing sounds? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, oh my. Doctor Strange. So now, we have our three questions. Yes. Favorite story of the week. What do you got for me? I mean, obviously it's the Doctor Strange books from, from 2015 on. Uh, the Aaron Bacallo books. This story was like i said i just couldn't put it down i was really interested in it It, they're they're quick reads they're a feast for the eyes and it was i i just kept wanting more and more and more and i i definitely am going to try and get some more books in this week and and see where this goes from here because i'm not at a point where i feel satisfied with where i'm at I'm gonna assume that Chris Bacallo may get your favorite art or artists of the week as well. Is that yes? Uh, that is. Yeah. There is there is so many full page panels and two page panels across these books that are just they are just a spectacle. They they just look. There is what I said was the right amount of detail, and but yet just a just a beautiful looking page it is just jaw dropping almost you you look at what you're seeing and it whether it's something very cool something unexpected something gritty and gross he can do anything like they're showing some of the stuff that that dr strange is eating now because he can't he can't really eat normal foods anymore so he's eating this like weird like worms and and like you know yeah crest weird just sort of sort of like demon squid and whatever yeah yeah yeah. it's just there's there's that stuff there's like i said the 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 pain and suffering creature that's in the cellar you know all these random worlds that they're going to they all have a very distinct and different look about them it just it is i there's been very few times that I've just absolutely loved art in some of these books. And there's been some, we've seen some absolutely amazing artists in the time that you and I have been doing, doing the podcast. And I think Chris Bacallo might be in my top two now of favorite artists. That That's how much I enjoyed these, these books. Very cool. If I, I might, I lo- who's going to stay number one? 
I or who would who would compete with him? I just remember really liking some of those um, those Moon Knight books from the uh, from the early two yep. thousands that looked really really good and had some almost David, photo probably Finch more than likely would yeah. be that's I kind of figured would be your would be your other option for that because I remember you really liked those there I I think Bacalo and Finch are like one and one a right now and and I would and, and I was just about to say I think now I would be wanting to like seek out and find other books that Chris Bacalo is, is is doing art for just to be able to see more that's how much I like the Excellent. I will, I will get you some suggestions. So, all right. So, worst part of the week. What was so the, the worst part, part of the week is I did not have enough time to read more of this of this story. I wanted to get through more than 13 books. That meant I, I read 19 books this week, which is more than I usually am able to get through in a week. Um, yep. But... But I, I really thoroughly enjoyed myself, and I liked all the stories that we read this week. They were all really interesting. Even the, I'm not a huge fan necessarily of some of the older stories that we've read, but I thought that that like that Strange Tales 110 was a very, very quick and 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 fun little introduction to a brand new character, and it's amazing how far he's come. When you look at, I, I'm excited to see more Doctor Strange. Uh, comic, but I'm really excited now to go watch the movie again because, like, I knew nothing mm-hmm. about Stephen Strange before going and seeing the movie the first time, and I remember really liking the movie, and and I I like Benedict Cumber Benedict Cumberbatch, and and that whole thing was good, but I think I'm going to have a whole new appreciation for the character now just because of Excellent. everything that we got to read. I would, I would agree. I'm looking forward to it, too. Dan, uh, did we have some correspondence this week? We, we did, indeed. Steph got in touch, uh, and she yeah. was she was disappointed we did not mention or have any love for the Nathan Fillion's tardigrade armor in, uh, in last week's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> 3 review. That was actually one of her favorite parts of the movie, and she talked about how she loved that they were kind of like little water bugs, almost, uh, and went back and looked. And some of the the Fillion uh, interviews, he talks about it that you know it's supposed to be almost like bioorganic grown armor kind of stuff and the like. So he reminded me of the Michelin Man almost, <laughs> you know, with like this helmet thing on, basically, yep. just the way it kind it of was pretty weird. sat on the body. It was just sort of ridiculous. But but we are big we are big we are big uh, castle fans and you know Nathan Fillion fans in general so hence that was good that was good stuff so yes apologize for not giving more time to the to the tardigrades. All right, Dan. Before we wrap things up, where are we going next week? Obviously, we talked about Doctor Strange, so I'm assuming there's a movie that we're going to see. Indeed, Doctor Strange, the the self-titled origin movie from 2016, where we get to learn a little bit about Stephen Strange and find out how he comes to have his various mystic powers. So, going to be a lot of fun. Benedict Cumberpatch, Benedict Wong, all the, the other folks we've come to know and love over the last few years. This is their first appearance, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Just looking forward to talking that one with you next week. It's been a while since I've seen that film, so I'm very much looking forward to, to seeing it again now. Now that I have a more more familiarity with the character. Absolutely. All right, and with that, that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the stack this week. Doctor Strange, the comic books, Chris Bacallo's art, perhaps, or the movie that we're going to be watching next week. You can email us those comments at comments at comicsovertime.com, or you can reach out to us via social media. We are on Twitter at Comics Overtime. 
Dan, I am looking forward to seeing Doctor Strange the movie and seeing where the movie went with this character after seeing some really, really good stories in the comics this week. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we will be back next week to talk to all of you guys about it. So look forward to doing that. Thank you.